Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my true treat to have Colin Day on the podcast with us. Welcome, Colin. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Colin is the managing director for EMEA and Asia Pack, which means we're going to have a blast talking today about sales outside of North America, how it's the same, how it's different. Uh, over at Octopost, they are a social media management platform. Colin, love to know maybe an interesting or unusual hobby that you have. Looking at my physique, I'm not going to stand up for you, but uh, a lot, I've got four children, right? Um, ranging in ages from 25 down to 15, boy, girl, boy, boy. Each of them are all big sports enthusiasts. Um, my boys probably uh, are a little bit jealous of, of my daughter because she's probably the better one out of all of them. Um, and she used to be a very good athlete. So uh, I'm actually a UK certified athletics coach. My daughters uh, and the boys are, are big soccer players. You'll often find me on a, on a Sunday, it's like um, tearing up and down the line with the, uh, with the linesman's flag. It's a way of getting rid of some of your, your pent-up aggression from sales, right? Because if, if someone, you know, one of the spectators gives you a little bit of grief for, uh, for a wrong decision, you can always hand the flag to them and ask them to come and do it themselves. Most of them will at that point in time, Jeremy. But no, what I'm talking about is track and field. You know, coaching uh, youngsters to run around a, uh, a track, 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters. That's outstanding. Well, well the thing, you know, we're, we're now early into the, the new year. And I, I think a good, therefore, logical place to start is on things around quota and compensation as you, as you get into the new year. I read in the beginning of the year a bunch of sales books. And, you know, they all have this factoid in there about fewer and fewer reps hitting quota. Some people have a target that says like two thirds, maybe 70% even of reps should meet or exceed quota. Do you guys have any sort of target like that inside of Octopost? Not really. I mean, look, we're looking for obviously for all reps to hit their quota. The quotas at um, Octopost are fairly reasonable, um, certainly achievable. So our, our reps have a monthly quota as well as a, a quarterly quota. And that quarterly quota obviously rolls up into an annual quota. We've done it nice and easily. How often do you reset those where you have it planned out for the for the quarter of the year? We plan it out for the quarter. The reps are uh, running their pipeline across the quarter. Part of that is down to the average sales cycle here at Octopost can be as short as three weeks. It can be as long as three or four months. But um, av- on average, it'll be somewhere between um, you know, two, two and three months. I understand you had a, a pretty amazing year last year. Yeah, we crushed it. So look, my story at Octopost started as a as an employee in March of 2020, right? So uh, I've only been here for like um, you know nine, ten months. Um, in actual fact, I remember the day very well. It was the 16th of March, and my very first job was to shut the London office and send everyone home and say, "Hey, we'll uh, we'll see each other in the future." So um, the interesting part of that, though, Jeremy, is that um, I actually purchased Octopost. So um, I've, I've purchased Octopost twice myself over the last six years. I really started my financial technology career at a company called SunGuard. That was in 99. And then um, I left the organization in, in March 2018. So by that time, we'd actually sold that business to a company called FIS, the world's largest financial technology company. So um, during that time, as I say, I uh, held various sales and marketing roles and had the pleasure of, of working with the Octopost team, buying the platform a couple of times. And then it was a case of, hey, do you know what? 
it's like the Remington uh, razor advert, right? I like the product so much, couldn't quite afford to buy the company, so I joined it. I'm in the same camp, by the way. I bought sales loft for a bunch of different places that I had worked for in the past. Uh, and and I, I can't remember if I told this story ever on the podcast, but a, a friend of mine and I vowed that if sales loft ever opened a New York City office, we would quit whatever we were doing and join sales loft. I did do that. I was about a year into my prior job, unfortunately, because I would have loved to have her in the company. Um, my friend had just started at another place. She's been thrilled where she is. So uh, one one day maybe we'll we'll be able to get her. But I, I can I can totally relate to that. But that's the beauty of it as well, right, Jeremy? In so much as you've walked in your client's shoes, yeah. So you know you can share those experiences, right? Why did you purchase the platform? How did you solve this problem? Right, so you're bringing added value, right, to to the sales process, and you know, building, um, you know, the sales team. You're able to to transfer and get that information a- across to them, right, so that um, you know, they've got the passion and they've got the understanding and they've got the direct knowledge of working day in day out with someone that um, you know purchased the platform and, and ran teams that um, you know used the, the platform in anger. When you came in, what was the biggest change that you made to the way either sales process or messaging? What was the biggest change you made to the the way that the team was selling? Yeah, so uh, the sales process really. So, like, um, we changed the sales mix, right? So, um, you know, some of that was the the sales executives that were selling. So, like, um, you know, we we had some movement there and, and brought in some new blood and some new talent. Um, historically, the team had really focused on managing inbound leads. Right, so it was all a case of um, you know, people coming to uh, probably about ninety percent of our business beforehand was people coming to our website and uh, asking for for a demo, so demo requests. In which case, you know, it's almost already a fish on, right? It may be the wrong fish, but um, it's a fish on. You know, you've just got a yank, right? And it's how hard you yank and whether you've got a, a whale or a minnow. What we started to do was to to change the mix of, of the sellers and really look for a, a full service um, you know, sales executive, someone that could actually go out and uh, um, hunt for for new business as well as you know be able to manage those inbound leads as well. So it's really like um, you know, a change in in the dynamic of of how we uh, we filled the pipeline as well as who was who was managing that pipeline. There are BDRs, SDRs, whatever you call them in in Europe. What's your philosophy around BDRs? It sounds like you hired more full cycle salespeople and not necessarily went the the sort of BDR route. So I've set up um, a number of, of BDR functions uh, across my time at SunGuard and FIS, and and they've worked really really well for us, right? It's like, um, but it's 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 all around how you define that BDR SDR inside sales team. Call it call it what you will, right? It's, it's all about how you 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 set them up and you set that structure. And also, where do you do it? Do you do it onshore? Do you do it nearshore? Do you do it offshore? Right. It's like um, you know the teams that I've been very, very successful with working with in the past have actually all been based over in Manila, in the Philippines. Interestingly enough, were they mainly responding? Because I, I found outsourced sales development works best for inbound response. It wasn't outsourced. This was actually in-house teams that we put offshore at Octopus. We actually had them onshore with us. The the strategy that we had with the SDR team was we gave them a profile of organization, right? It's like um, our ideal um, you know, customer profile. And we said, go, go hunt in this pool, right? So it was almost like, do you know what? Take a big net, yeah, and go go trawl, right? It's like, um, you know, whereas 
when when I've run um, SDR teams in in the past, it's really been it's like more like spear fishing, right? It's like um, rather than net fishing. Yeah, so it's a case of do you know what? very very targeted, as well as not just outbound, but um, you know manage the inbound process as well, right? So uh, any marketing qualified leads that um, you know come up through our marketing activities, whether that be you know someone coming through a website contact us form, or whether that be someone qualifying through lead scoring right so like we pass that off to to an sdr for them to um you know establish budget authority need timeline um compelling event before passing it over to let's face it a high value resource right a, a salesperson yeah so um that's what we weren't doing right really at, at Octopost, which is why we uh, we moved on from that model and as you say it's like um you know look more for the fully functional like um sales rep this past weekend i was Reading, I read this book called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. On this note, it had two counterintuitive pieces of, of advice. One piece, and I'm trying to find the uh, the exact quote, it was basically, no cold calls, get a referral to the person you want to see, basically in every single instance. W- what's your reaction to that? Coming from Europe uh, and covering like, um, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and, and Asia Pacific, if you look at some of the countries that my team operate in, you don't cold call. It's culturally not the done thing. Japan springs to mind. South Korea springs to mind. Germany springs to mind. Um, not only don't cold call in Germany, it's like um, don't send a cold email. In Germany, I would very much agree with you, right? It's like, um, you know, we used to have a saying at SunGuard, the power was in the network. It's true now, right, as, as well. And it's not the power in, in these things. Yeah, it's the power in, in the human network, right? The, the network that you build up over the course of, of your career and the people that you can tap into and the connections that you make. Never never burn a bridge, right? Never burn a bridge because you never know when you're going to work with that individual, work for that individual in the same organization or, or when they're going to be a client of yours or when you're going to be a client of theirs or a partner. I say that as your network is your net worth, which I stole from somebody else. Uh, actually tying that to, you know, your back to your growth story, you know, you said part of the growth was in hiring a different type of sales professional. Does that mean that one of you, and we can, I guess, explore hiring criteria, especially in, in Europe, because we've covered that in the US, but we've never really covered that as a topic on the show in Europe. Is one of your hiring criteria to somehow investigate or interrogate the network that your reps have so that they come in with, you know, more likelihood of being able to book business? Yeah, I mean, that that's certainly one criteria. It's not the only thing, Jeremy, right? And, um, you know, some of the way that we get that naturally is where you're hiring people from. We sell to marketers, right? It's like, um, or we sell to HR sometimes and, and we sell to uh, sales enablement, but um, predominantly we're selling to social media managers, CMOs, heads of communication. But sales enablement does come into it because there's the social selling aspect. Where we've found that we've had great sales success, right, or quick sales success to onboarding our sales associates um, is when we're, we're hiring them in from other organizations that sell SaaS solutions to, uh, to, to marketers, right? So with that, like, um, you know, companies that they're coming from companies that are part of the marketing technology ecosystem. Not, not necessarily competition. It can be in a parallel space. It's, it's the motion that they need to know how to do, right? It's to sell a recurring revenue SaaS product, which could be in a different domain. 
I think of it in orders of magnitude, right? Thousand dollar sale, very different than a ten thousand, very different than a hundred thousand, very different than a million. Yeah, and, and you know, it goes from transactional, right? It's like um up. Yeah, I mean, it's like that that thousand dollar deal is a transactional sale, right? I just realized I should have said pounds, but I, I hey, we we work in dollars here, Jeremy. <laughs> so. <laughs> So in addition to sort of the network and other SaaS companies, what, what are some other things you look for? And one of the reasons I bring this up is because my understanding of hiring in Europe is that it's, it's, uh, you have to be much more careful, right? Because once a person, you can describe it to us a little bit, but once a person is hired, I think it's, it's kind of hard to separate from them. It depends, Jeremy, right? It's like, um, it, it depends. Look, the, the, the US model is almost hire at will. If I can be as, as crass, right? It is not so in in the UK, not so in continental Europe. But saying that's like um, you know all of um, our associates, whether it be an account executive to the head of sales, or uh, even like um, you know the, any of the executive team that um, you know would get hired, everyone goes on a, a probationary period. Yes, you know there's a formal process that you need to go through to move someone on for underperformance, or indeed, like um, you know, if the role is is no longer relevant, then uh, you know you retire the role and and uh, and make the the individual redundant. I'm curious how long the probationary period is in enterprise selling. Right, it may take three plus months, maybe even six months to even ramp the person up. And then if you have a nine month sales cycle, right, they may not do their first deal that that they legitimately kind of brought from inception to close for an entire year. Uh, you know, I find that enterprise sellers, good or bad, can all stick around at least a year, a year and a half. To me, the the sign of a of an enterprise salesperson who's successful is that they made it past year two. So I, I wouldn't assume you have a two year probationary period. No, our probationary period is three months. But um, look, if 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 part of the success criteria and and sales is a numbers game, right? So let, let's face it, right? So like um, sales is a numbers game. Um, you know, part of someone's employment contract, right, is that they they're going to make quota. So guess what? If they're if someone's underperforming all the time, yeah, and they're not making quota, yeah, then there's a conversation to be had, and you can go through a formal process to you know put someone on a on a pip, a performance improvement plan, and if they're not um, you know if they're not meeting that, then then guess what? It's like um, you know you can take steps to uh, um, you know to to move the the individual on. Now, no one wants to do that, right? It's like, um, you know, so so it comes down to trying to find the right individual in, in the first instance, but you're not always going to get it right, Jeremy. Yeah, 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 no. And it's so incredibly hard to predict whether or not any employee will be successful, let alone a salesperson. And they have, con- you know, they have a degree of control, right? I mean, every salesperson in a way runs their own business, right? I, I say that to my, my guys and, and girls every single day, right? It's like, um, consider what you've got. This is your franchise. Right, it's so like this is your book of business. You tell me, right, as as a sales manager, as a sales leader, what I can do to help you. You as the account executive, right? You own that book of business, right? And so you tell me, yeah, what you need from me in order to to drive that forward. Don't always think it's me telling you and, and directing you. That's a nice segue over to sales managers. We talked about hiring account executives. Do you have any different principles or philosophies when you're hiring a sales manager? The best sales executive doesn't necessarily make the best sales manager and sales leader, right? So um, I always think of things in your know, mindset and, and skill set, right? So it is a difference like mindset and, and skill set that you you need to lead and manage people, whether that be 
sales executives, whether it be um, you know marketing associates, whether it be you know um, um, operations teams, etc. Right, the the skill set of of the leader is is different to that of the uh, the, the people actually you know at the coalface, if if you will. What do you expect of your sales managers? Some some sales leaders expect their sales managers to be they're really the ultimate closers and the, you know, the their AEs are getting them 99% of the way, but on the biggest deals, they're helping out. Or are you more in the sales managers as coaches camp? Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm certainly in that second camp. If the AE can't close, we've got the wrong AE as a sales leader or a sales manager, right? If, if, you, if you can't place a bit of business with that, uh, with that executive and, and expect them to close it, then, you know, why have you got them sitting in the chair that they're sitting in? You know, and, and that's a skill set, right? That uh, that you look for going back to the hiring of the account executives, right? How coachable are they? Yeah, I, I'm also just thinking about the managers. I mean, one one thing is obviously coaching. There's another part of it which is analytics, and there is this because the time is the one thing that you, unless you're going at whatever quantum velocities, you can't expand or contract uh, or close to the speed of light. There's this trade off that managers have with their time of sort of how much desk jockeying they do of of analytics and looking at activity and pipeline and and so on and then time that they spend with with uh, you know their AEs directly coaching them either engaged on a call with them and then doing follow up work or um, or just role playing and so on where does that balance lie for you and your team You've not watched Harry Potter recently, with that little spinny thing that um, you know Hermione has. You can time, you can time travel, and you can go back, Jeremy. Come on, yeah. So, look, if, if you if you look at the analytics side of things, right? So, like, um, I'd, I'd probably say it's it's probably fifty fifty, right? Fifty percent of the time, it's like coaching. Fifty percent of the time, it's like um, you know, looking at the data and understanding what the what the data is telling you. And that you know, it, it's not just one set of data. To me, it's it's also you know, are, are we selling to to the right individuals? Do we have the the right core data set right to uh, to empower yeah the reps to to go out and and do that outreach? Do we have the right tools in place to uh, to 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 support the the reps and, and their book of business right? So um, you know, it's it's not just it's not just the the transactional or or uh, you know deal level data. Sure, that's that's very important gets even more uh, important and critical in uh, in licensed software sales when you get towards the end of the year because uh, you know Q4 is is normally the best quarter for uh, for anyone selling um, you know to B2B organizations and selling software licenses right for you guys I'm wondering you know since you're doing social media monitoring attribution is there something that you can proactively use in prospecting to, to tell a customer something that they don't already know? We can tell you who is engaging with social content that you're putting out through the corporate channel or, or through your employees if they're if you're using employee advocacy, right? Not not just what posts are working, but um, but who's engaging with them. So if you think about that, right? As a, as a sales professional, right? If if, I, if you had an active opportunity that um, involved Colin. Right, use me. Um, so you've got an active opportunity with Octopost. You know, Colin's part of uh, of that opportunity. Say it's sitting in your Salesforce instance. Other CRMs do exist, but um, you know, you've got that deal going, and your marketers have posted something out through uh, through the sales loft corporate LinkedIn post. Colin's come along and engaged with it, or you, Jeremy, have posted something out through advocacy that your uh, your marketers have shared with you. Colin comes along and engages with it. If the system could tell you, 
yeah, that Colin has engaged with this piece of content. This piece of content is relevant to this particular topic or, or this particular um, you know, product line. Colin's actually said this, and guess what? This is you know, positive, negative, or neutral from a sentiment perspective. Let's just say it's positive, and Colin's you know, giving glowing references about, uh, about sales off. Guess what? You, Jeremy, as the sales rep, you want to know about that conversation going on because you might want to join that conversation on social and, and start to steer it right in, in a direction that, um, um, that you want it to go, especially if that conversation is negative. Yeah, so um, you know that's that's what that's the power of Octopost, right? We 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 make social measurable, yeah, but we also give you detailed insights that you can use back with inside your your sales and marketing processes for lead scoring, nurturing, attribution modeling, or indeed, um, you know, notification of, uh, of of the reps when something interesting happens. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, that's like those multiple pieces. Certainly, it's the being able to engage on an in-flight deal to understand what's going on, but even even you know as powerful is to be able to uh, quote unquote illuminate the dark funnel, right? To figure out who who which companies are actually engaging with your content, so that you're not just prospecting using using like a batch and blast. I wish we had more time, but uh, we are sadly out of time. If, if folks want to learn more about Octopost or get in touch with you for you know career opportunities, since you're still growing quite aggressively, what's the best way for them to do that? Yep, several different media. So uh, we we have a website. So it is www.ok2post. So that's OKTOPOST.com. Or my email address is colin at octopost.com. Or indeed, find me on LinkedIn, find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is cday, cday underscore UK, um, or uh, Colin Day on, on LinkedIn. Well, thank you so much, Colin. It was a pleasure having you on. Pleasure was all mine, Jeremy. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 